0: What does your home look like at Christmas? Maybe like this, everything's so beautiful and in its right place, so orderly, picture perfect for a postcard, huh? Or does it maybe resemble a little more of this, a little bit of confusion and tangle with things out of place and uh, just kind of a little chaotic, that's the way it's been around here the last few days trying to get everything set for the nativity and then this morning and and trying to get things going for worship and we're we're missing a microphone and couldn't find a clicker and all sorts of things. And sometimes that's maybe what it's like at home too, right? Everything is rearranged and a lot of extra activities so things maybe seem a little chaotic. But despite the chaos, you and others who maybe see your home certainly know you're focused on Christmas. But let's talk about outside the Christmas season. What does your home say about your life? What activities or, or what things in your home maybe tell people about the interests you have, the activities you're involved in, or maybe the people in the home? You know, maybe you have some souvenirs around or, or a particular uh, decoration or something that that shows your kinds of interests and activities. No doubt there's, there's pictures around of, of family, and it, and it shows you know, who's in your family and what you do. But it also shows some love for the people that you have. So a lot of different things in our, in our home bring a message about what your family is like, what your life is like. Well, your home. Today, we want to continue with that series of messages, Home for Christmas. But we're not talking just about our home, but the home that was for Christ and how that becomes our home for Christmas. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' hometown, which was Nazareth. That's where he grew up. And that's where the angel came to tell Mary she was pregnant. The Son of God was now incarnate. But we often think of Jesus' home or first home as as Bethlehem, because that was his birthplace. So today we want to talk about Bethlehem. And as we do so, we want to take a message home with us, and that is to welcome the Savior, into our home. I'm going to base our remarks on the prophecy we heard a few minutes ago from Micah. I'll read that again. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. So what do we know about Bethlehem? Well, we know a few things, but not a lot. We know, or it's best known for being the birthplace of Jesus. And sometimes just knowing where a person was born tells you something a little bit about their background. For example, I was born in the Midwest, born and raised in in Wisconsin. So when people hear that, they say, oh, you're probably a Packer fan. No, I'm not. Or they'll probably say, oh, you probably like the cold and the snow, huh? No way. That's why I've lived in California for most of my life. But it's somehow the, 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 uh, the concept of a birthplace seems to give certain characteristics or definition to your own life. Well, what do we know about Bethlehem? Micah started out this way. You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. What he's telling us is Bethlehem is a real little town. In fact, it was so small, it was not even included in Old Testament lists of cities of Judah. It just was too tiny. Now we might wonder, why then would would God pick Bethlehem as the birthplace for his son? I mean, why not Jerusalem, the capital city, with that spectacular temple? Or why not some other fantastic place that would draw a lot of attention? Well, God sometimes uses things that we perceive as small and insignificant to do great things. For Micah said, Though you're small, out of you will come one for me who will be ruler over Israel. You see, sometimes God uses the small and insignificant things to show that it wasn't that thing that was so great, but what he was doing. Bethlehem didn't make Jesus great. God made Bethlehem great. And yet when we look at Bethlehem, we see some things that maybe tell us why it was Jesus was born there. Now just like in our homes, We maybe have pictures or different items that say something about our family, so we can look at Bethlehem and note three things about Bethlehem that tell us something about our savior. And really, when we hear about our savior, it makes Bethlehem great. Well, the first thing we can look at is just the word Bethlehem itself. In the Hebrew, that word means house of bread. Now, I did some research this week trying to find out, well, why was the place called House of Bread? Nobody had an answer. The best answer that was is the name Bethlehem came from a Canaanite name that was originally there in that town, and then the people of Israel just changed the wording or the sound of it so it would be House of Bread. But maybe we don't need a big explanation for it. Maybe just the name itself says something house of bread. They apparently were known for their wonder bread or something. Now we do know this, that Bethlehem had a lot of fields around it as well. The Old Testament account of Ruth, we were mindful of the fact she was out in the field. She was picking wheat and taking the grain to the threshing floor. And even the word Ephrathah connected to Bethlehem's name has significance. It means fruitful. So knowing that bread is kind of a staple of life and knowing that there was a lot of life growing around in the fields there, maybe what Bethlehem is known for is being a home with life. Now that would be a good place for the Savior to be born because he's the one who brings us life. In fact, Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. You recall how Jesus performed that great miracle of feeding over 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Had I been in the crowd, I was glad that there was more bread than fish because I would have passed on the fish. But Jesus fed those people and And they were all happy and excited about it, and they wanted to make Jesus their bread king. They thought, here's a guy who just feeds us miraculously. He takes care of all of our needs. In Jesus' message to that crowd after that miracle, he was reminding them, however, that the bread wasn't the important thing. You know, food does not give us life. Food only sustains life. It's God who gives life. And so Jesus was reminding them, don't don't look just at the gift, look at the giver. And so with that, we get a little reminder too that uh, sometimes we're very focused on what we want from God, the blessing we want to get from Him. But we should also be reminded of God who is the giver of every good and perfect gift and be reminded of of his love and his grace and his wisdom in supplying all that we need. But why is it we should look to God for life? Because we need life. When we come into this world, we don't have life, spiritual life. We're dead in sin and unbelief. Now, just think about this for a minute. If nobody told you about Jesus, about God, or if you were not baptized, you wouldn't know about God because by nature we do not know about Him and we live only in sin. And so it is that we need life and it's God who gives us life. So often, though, in in life, we're focused on those things that we need as being so important. The most important thing we need is that life with God. Boy, that, that message is coming home to me more and more clearly as I talk to these inmates in the state prison where we're doing some ministry. You know... Their concerns are not, oh, boy, my cable signal is real weak today. <laughs> or have got a real problem with all this rush hour traffic. No, they've got a lot of other problems that we don't have. Their life is not very good. But they look beyond those physical needs. And they want love. They want God's love. And, and to talk to them... It's just amazing to hear how their life has changed when they come to know Jesus and know the life that they have in Him, to know they're forgiven for their crimes and all their other sins, that they're loved by Him. You see, they've got the right focus. We're too concerned about things. They're concerned about life. And Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and to have it to the fullest. And by that he meant eternal life. Why can Jesus give us eternal life? Because Jesus is everlasting life. Listen to the words of Micah again. He says, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Could also be translated from everlasting. The Old Testament psalm said, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. At the beginning of John's gospel, John takes us back to eternity in the past and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was talking about Jesus. Jesus talks of his own eternal nature when he said to the Jews, Before Abraham was... I am. And he's using that special covenant name of God to tell us he's eternal. He calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. No wonder then that Jesus can come and tell us he will bring us everlasting life because he is everlasting. He does promise us everlasting life. He says, I am The resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will never die. He's talking about our spiritual life, will never die. And he says, whoever believes in me and dies physically will live. We will be raised to life. Jesus has come to give us everlasting life. Are you looking for life? Some would wonder, why would you look to Bethlehem for life? That probably was such a quiet little town with nothing going on. Why would you go there? Well, where do you go to look for life? And what kind of life are you looking for? Are you like like the people in that field that Jesus fed with with the bread and the fish? You're looking for life in, in the physical things that you have? Well, certainly we have physical needs. God knows them, and he's told us not to worry about them, that he will supply them. He says to us, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, which is Jesus, and everything else will be added to you. That's what we need, and we need it now. We shouldn't put it off. But are we looking there to Jesus for that most important need. You know, sometimes it's said, we eat in order to live. But sometimes it's true that we live just to eat because we enjoy eating. Well, with Jesus, we can have both. We can have the food that he gives us so that we live And as we eat that food, that grace he gives us, we're going to enjoy it. Look to Jesus, then, for the food and for the life that lasts, that doesn't spoil, that never runs out. That's what you're going to hear at our church, in our services, in our classes Yes, we'll talk about marriage, how you need to work on your marriage. We'll talk about your relationships. We'll talk about your finances and and your attitudes and all those other things that have to do with our living here. But none of that matters if we don't start first with Jesus and the life that he gives us. Otherwise, we'll be like the Apostle Paul said. If we only have hope in this life, from Jesus, then we are to be pitied among all people because we have been fooled. Now I know we have troubles in life, challenges and needs, but just look to Jesus. Make him the life that's in your home. So Bethlehem is probably known as a city of life. But Bethlehem also had a reputation of being a home for shepherds. We uh, are very familiar with that uh, from the gospel account of Jesus' birth, right? How the shepherds were nearby and came to worship him. So Bethlehem was a shepherd town, and that seems as an appropriate place then for Jesus to be born. Micah brings that out too. He says, therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Now, Jesus himself told us, I am the good shepherd and gave us a description of what he does as a good shepherd and we I think we could all summarize it in this way saying that shepherds were people who had love and so Bethlehem while it's a shepherd town and you can have your own thoughts and images about shepherds but I think this you would understand and agree with they were people who showed love Bethlehem is a town that shows God's love it's a town that reminds us of Jesus as a shepherd when you think of it, what a shepherd does, you, you get the message that they are very caring people. Now, we're talking about pictures and paintings before. No doubt you have seen some of these with Jesus as a shepherd. You know, there he is, holding that, that tired or that wounded sheep on his shoulders, carrying him along the way, not leaving him behind, not telling him, come on, get tough but picking him up in his weakness and carrying him. Or maybe this one. hmm? Jesus holding that little lamb close to his heart. We have this picture in our our home of Jesus leading four children because we've got four kids. That's what a shepherd does too, right? Leads the sheep. The prophet Isaiah pictured Jesus as a shepherd also. And he said this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Jesus carries you. He knows what your needs are. He knows what you're going through. He knows your troubles, your worries, your hurts. And he carries you close to his heart. He takes care of you with his wisdom And with his power. So that what the psalmist says about him is true, he will bind the brokenhearted, heal the brokenhearted, and bind up their wounds. Along with caring for sheep, we also know that the shepherds keep their flocks, which means they watch over them, right? You remember the Christmas account and there were shepherds in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks by night. The purpose was they were protecting them, protecting them from all sorts of dangers that were around. Protection, security, isn't that on our minds these weeks? A recent poll this week said that the number one concern Americans have right now is security, and that's gonna be the big issue in the presidential campaign. Well, we can understand that, right? Because now we know that the enemy is around us. The enemy is among us. And we can't even identify them. They're very sneaky. And they're very intent on hurting us. And that's very true spiritually as well. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and soul. The devil. And the devil is around us. And the devil may be among us with his followers. And they will work very sneakily, deceitfully, and intentionally to harm us. Just think of the stuff that we watch on TV. Think of the things we hear other people do and and maybe follow along and join in. Think of the own desires that we have in our heart, that the devil uses to get at us. You see the danger that we are in? But we are assured from our shepherd he's keeping watch over us. After Jesus explained how he is the good shepherd, he said this, I give them, his sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is not going to lose you. Now, how does he protect us? The psalmist in Psalm 23 said, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus is our great source of protection. Micah said, he will keep them, he will watch over them with his strength. But where, where is that strength? When we see things going on that seems to indicate that there's something or someone else stronger, where, where is that strength of God? With his rod and with his staff. That staff, that hooked stick. That's how he protects us. When we start to wander and go off in dangerous ways, he uses that word to say, that's not right. That's not what you should do. And he pulls us back. When we need some encouragement to stay on the right path, he uses that rod, his word, to encourage us and show us the right way. And when that danger has come, and when we are wounded because of sin, there's a rod that is has taken care of that. A big stick called the cross. For there Jesus took the punishment, the harm that would come from our sin. He took it away from us when he put himself under the penalty of God's wrath for our sins. And he took up his life again. Though he laid it down, he said, I will take up my life again, and he did so that he would finally defeat that one enemy that we are totally powerless over, which is death in the grave. He defeated that for us, so we will have life. That's the love of our shepherd. But what about you today? Are you hurting? Is there some sadness, some sorrow, some worry in your life? God knows all of it. With his wisdom and with his power, he'll bless you. Remember, he has you close to his heart. He can feel your heartbeat in his. But what about your walk in life? Are you in any spiritual danger? Do you see it? Don't wander away from God. Don't go off where it's dangerous. Stay close to Jesus. And where is that? In his word. That's the staff. And in his sacrament, there he brings healing of forgiveness. You know, you're not going to get strength from God and know God's love by going off and doing activities that take you away from the word of God. That's where he says he comes to us. That's where faith is strengthened. Stay close to him. You know, sometimes uh, families, when they do activities together, maybe they're out at the mall, maybe they're at an amusement park or at the beach or something, they kind of split up, they'll always say, okay, we're all going to gather back at such and such a place and at this time. What's a gathering place for your family? Make it his word. Because that's where God's love starts, and that's where God strengthens his love in our home. Now there's one more thing that that Bethlehem is kind of noted for, and that it was a home for King David. He was one of the ancestors of Jesus. And Jesus then, we are told, would be born there because he was of the house and lineage of David. In fact, King David was anointed as king there. So Bethlehem is kind of a royal city. And with that royalness comes lordship. Bethlehem can remind us of the lordship of our God. Now this isn't just history. And this isn't just theology. This is reality. Jesus rules over all. We might wonder about that sometimes. We might question, how can that be when there's such evil in the world? When there are problems going on in my own life and I pray and ask for God's blessing, how is it that I can be suffering? How is it that he rules over all? With his wisdom and with his power, he promises us we will be blessed. When we were talking about some of this this past Wednesday in our Wednesday Women's Bible Study, one of the ladies there pulled out a poem that she keeps in her Bible. It's called The Weaver. And there it beautifully reminds us of how God weaves what we call the good along with uh, what we call the bad along with the good to bring us blessing. Here's that poem. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me I cannot choose the colours he worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives his very best to those who leave the choice with him. Did you hear what it's saying? God is working for you. We need to trust and accept that. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that, that Jesus, when he went back to heaven, was glorified and enthroned. He says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's you, the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. God also tells us that whatever people intend as evil, He will work for our good. And that all things work together for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God rules for you. Are you concerned about the future? Whether it's your life or your family or our country? Don't let the lack of knowledge we have cause you to fear. Because God rules and He rules for us. What we don't know cannot change that truth. That truth calls for faith. Simply trust him. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Little town known for life, for love, and for lordship. Welcome those with the Savior into your home. Amen.